Good morning, Grace. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'm Kenny, one of the elders here. Grace, get the privilege of preaching this morning. And uh, as we ease into this here, as we were just singing that line, day by day, I know he will renew me. Uh, These words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 came to mind. I want to read them as we begin. This is possible for us here this morning. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, some of us are feeling that to varying degrees this morning, some minor and some serious, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison How does this renewing happen? He says, as we look, not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Who here wants to experience this morning their inner nature being renewed even while you are feeling burdens on your outer nature? Let's pray and ask God to meet us in this way and help us to to see what's eternal and what gives hope. Lord, we pray you are the everlasting God. You do not grow weary. You don't faint. You give power to the faint. You increase strength to those who have no might. So God, as we wait for you this morning, renew our strength. Please help us to run and not grow weary. Help us to walk and not be faint. And help us to help one another along in this race. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Galatians, one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, chapter 6. If you were out of town last week or not with us because uh, of the Christmas vacation, holiday, Christmas break, uh, we began a short little three-week miniseries. Jackson began last week. Um, we don't even have a name for it. We could call it the Three One Another's for 2020. I, there's, there's a name for the series. Uh, we decided uh, we wanted to take three Sundays to explore three one another commands in the New Testament. Um, and this is why, you know, you've heard us probably many times say our, our mission at Grace is to be a gospel proclaiming, equipping, nurturing, and sending church. People who are redeemed by, that means uh, saved by the transforming work of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And those words can come by fast, proclaiming, equipping, nurturing, sending. But that word nurturing is significant. We want to be a church where we are nurturing one another. Nurture means promoting growth. We are helping one another cultivate growth towards spiritual maturity. We're helping encourage one another toward Christ and to lives more fully yielded to him. And so these three one another's are not the only ones we could have looked at, but they're, they're some significant ones that are right at the heart of how do we, with the gospel, nurture one another. Last week, Jackson started us, Colossians 3.16. We do it with a word-based ministry. We teach and we admonish one another with all wisdom so that Christ's word isn't just words on a page, but it's a living word that lives and dwells within us richly. And so we speak to one another and we encourage one another and we teach one another and we admonish one another. But this morning we're going to look at Galatians 6.2, which complements this, and it says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So not only do we call one another to Christ and to yield our lives to him, call one another to keep resting in the sufficiency of Christ's finished work of, of redeeming us, but also then to, to trust him as Lord and to, to trust his lead and to walk in his ways. But then, as we're going to see this morning, we help one another do what we call one another to. We're called to help each other. Because growing is hard, isn't it? So Jesus says, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that's true. What he means by that is we find favor with God by coming to him weak and empty-handed, ceasing our striving and our attempts to be good enough to show God we deserve his favor. No, we come to him empty-handed and, and Jesus then um, takes us in and receives us on the merits of his death on the cross for us. But the Christian life that he calls us then to live as we follow him is not easy, and he never said it would be. In fact, frequently Jesus was telling his disciples and us as we listen in that it would be hard. The Christian life involves taking up a cross day by day, denying ourselves. The Christian life, he says, uh, is one that has an enemy that we face daily who wants to devour us. Like he told Peter, who wants to sift us like wheat, he wants to bring things into our life that shake us to show do we really trust in God or not. He told us not to be surprised when trials come, that they're inevitable until he returns and makes all things right. So these burdens that come with the Christian life are difficult. And as we've been singing this morning, I'm so thankful that these songs... I was looking across the room as we're singing some of these songs and it was so confirmed in my heart that this is not wishful thinking that we're singing because I'm seeing many of you out here that I know God has led you along, has upheld you, has held you fast when you thought your faith would fail through deep waters and we've seen it again and again. God helps us carry our burdens. And one of the ways he intends to do that is through one another, through us. Jesus intends to hold us fast with our arms and our help helping bear one another's burdens. And so let's look at this. Galatians 6. It's really just a Spurgeon. Spurgeon was famous for Charles Spurgeon preaching whole sermons on one sentence, one verse of the Bible. And so in a sense, that's what we're doing this morning. Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This broad principle, this overarching command, sort of general command to all Jesus' disciples, bear one another's burdens, but it comes in a context. Look at the verse before it, verse one. Verse one is one particular example, one way in which we're called to bear one another's burdens. And so the context of him saying it is this. He says, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Then he says the broad principle, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we see... He says, for example, Christian, when you see sin getting the upper hand in the life of one of your brothers or sisters or in Christ, recognize your responsibility to not just leave them in that, but to move toward them humbly, gently, and to help restore them and get free from it. But then verse two, he says, this is just one way among many 
that we bear one, another bur- bur- one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I want us to consider the broader principle and then we'll consider some of the specific ways like verse one that we're to, to carry this out. But let's look at verse two. It just has two parts. There's a command and then a ground. So there's a what we're called to, but also the why. What is the, the aim? What is the end uh, for which we are to bear one another's burdens? And I want to take them in reverse order. I want to get Jesus up here early in this, in this sermon here and look at the second half. This is all about the law of Christ being fulfilled, the law of Christ being lived out and made manifest and visible in the world. What is the law of Christ? We need to get this right, especially in the book of Galatians, a letter that Paul talks about the law more than any of his other letters because he's warning Christians who are abandoning the true gospel for a false gospel of works, of adherence to outward religious observances as the assurance of their salvation. He's saying, no, that's a false gospel. So we need to make sure we don't misunderstand the law of Christ here in this way. So what does he mean when he says we fulfill the law of Christ? Look back one chapter at Galatians 5, 13 and 14. This is what Paul has in mind. Because he's saying Christ set us free from the burden of of law-keeping that we could never fulfill. He set us free. And look what he says now in verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think Paul has in mind the new commandment Jesus gave his disciples at that last Passover meal. He ate with them. As he sat there eating with them, about to to be betrayed that night and eventually sentenced to death on the cross, he looks them in the eye and he says this. He says, uh, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. But here's the key. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. As we bear one another's burdens, we bear witness to Christ. As we love the way we have been loved by Christ, it will be a a, a pointer to whose disciples we are. We will look like our Lord when we love one another the way our Lord has loved us. That's the new part of the commandment. I don't know if if you've ever read that and thought, is that a new commandment? That's the first time you'd ever told the disciples love one another? No. But what's new there is as he's about to go to the cross, he says, here's what I mean. I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. He intended for them to look back on the other side of the cross and say, oh, That is a new commandment. Love one another like that, like that we've been loved by you. So just how has he loved us? He loved us by bearing our greatest burden. That's the gospel. That's what the angels were announcing that we just celebrated at Christmas, the night Jesus was born. They announced to the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy for all the peoples. For today, this day, a savior has been born. Jesus was born to bear the burden that none of us could bear ourselves. We've all proven (laughs) to be wonderful failures at bearing this burden, but Jesus was born to carry it. And he wasn't, 
He doesn't bear our burden like lending us partial support, like you get that end, Jesus, I've got this end. I just can't quite manage it. No, we needed him to completely carry it. Listen to this from Romans 8. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He, he bore a burden we could not ever have borne ourselves. And he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as one of us to represent us. He did it in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And we are to remember, okay, when was it that a man in flesh, just like us, was condemned for our sin? That's the cross. That's what happened at the cross when 1 Peter 2.24 says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore them in our place. We sing it in this hymn. It is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It's been lifted from us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And I want to ask, maybe your perception of Jesus has always been that Jesus is the great burden giver. That's what Jesus is like. That's what God is like. He's the, just the great burden giver. He is the, the great fun stealer. He's the great rule giver. He's the one who's always disappointed in you. You're never good enough. It is true that you're, we're not good enough. But that is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the true Jesus. He's the great burden bearer. He's the one who bore the punishment for all of your not good enough. In fact, Romans 5, 8, here's my paraphrase, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet not good enough, preemptively, Christ died for us. He became our good enough. He lived a sinless life. And then he hung on the cross bearing all the punishment that all of our collective not good enough deserves. And he bore it to the end. And God raised him from the dead, signifying he had paid in full our great debt. He'd carried all of our burden to the cross and dealt with it there. And now he offers you this morning the opportunity to be released from this burden of not good enough. To know and have assurance that the God who created the universe and you, even though you have ignored him in the world he made, as a person made in his image, you have ignored him and lived your own way. He wants to forgive your sin completely and dwell in you. And that could happen now. The greatest thing you could do this morning is to take the burden of your sin and lay it at the foot of the cross and just say, Jesus, I believe that your death paid for all of this. Forgive me by your blood. Enter into my life. Make me new. I urge you to do that this morning. And then tell someone you did it. I'm happy to be one of those. Or someone nearby you. That's the gospel. That's how Jesus is our great burden bearer. And so now the connection here of fulfilling the law of Christ is Jesus has said to his disciples, so now having been justified by my burden bearing love, we are now set free to love one another just as we've been loved. Serving in freedom might sound like they're an oxymoron for you that serving doesn't seem to be related to freedom, but it is in Jesus' mind. 
It isn't Paul's mind. That's what Paul meant when he says you were called to freedom and you're to use this freedom to now through love serve one another. I was thinking of Romans 5.5 says that God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and God intends for it to now overflow out of us, out toward one another as those who understand deeply and are grateful for the love with which we've been loved. It made me think there's a story in the Gospels of a woman who came and interrupted Jesus while he was eating in the house of some Pharisees. These religious leaders. It was probably a a nice meal. It was probably a fancy occasion. And as he's eating with these well-respected religious leaders, this woman that everyone in the city knew was a sinner burst in and got down at Jesus' feet in the middle of their meal and broke this, this, this expensive bottle of perfume ointment and started anointing Jesus' feet with tears, wiping his feet with her hair. And as all the men at the table are sneering at this woman and at Jesus who would let her touch his feet, he tells him a short parable in the form of a question. He says this, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, just an, an exorbitant amount of money. And the other owed him 50. And he canceled both their debts. Who do you think loved him more? Obvious question, but Simon the Pharisee says, well, certainly the one who was canceled had a greater debt canceled. And Jesus says exactly, pointing to this woman and, and, and implying him, hey, he who, for, who loves little, for, for, is, uh, sorry, he who is forgiven little loves little, Jesus says. If you, th- if you think you have not much to be forgiven for, no need for Jesus, you, you won't love much. But the one who is forgiven much loves much. And the woman being exhibit A, she loves the one who forgave the debt much. And she loves like the one who forgave the debt. Get this. This is the, kind of the key here this morning. The greatest burden bearers will always be those who are most grateful for the burden Christ has already borne for them. I'll say it again. The greatest burden bearers are always going to be those who are most grateful, who are most profoundly aware day by day of what a great burden has been lifted from them at the cross by Jesus and all the grace that now is ours because of that burden lifting. Those will be the greatest burden bearers. So let's reflect on this command then. Bear one another's burdens. This is the what. Two assumptions first about just bear one another's burdens. Assumption number one, we all have burdens that we can't bear alone. That's just the assumption. This is not a command for some burdenless people among us who have no cares and they have got it all handled and they are to come alongside and bear the burdens of those who are weighed down. No, the assumption is we all have burdens. Bear one another's burdens. It just assumes we've all got them. They might vary in degree or kind in this room. You might look around and and think, right now, I've got a lot more burdens on my plate than it seems like that person over there. But nevertheless, we all have burdens. Is there anyone in here this morning who would say, I got no burdens? I don't think so. I was thinking, if somehow for a moment God could make visible for us in the form of rocks or weights or bags. And we could look around the room just right now at all the burdens that we carried in this room this morning. I think we'd be overwhelmed. So many burdens. 
that we can't carry. And second assumption is this, God does not intend for us to bear them alone. That's what the law of Christ is for, this command, bear one another's burdens. He intends for us to rely on one another interdependently and help strengthen each other as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now your instinct might be to think, Listen, you already said it. We all have big enough burdens. Why should I expect anyone to help me carry some of mine? I just need to deal with mine alone. God has not left that as an option. The command, bear one another's burdens, is also a command to allow others to help share the load of your burden. To not be a rock and an island, but to be a part of a body of which Christ is the head. So those are two assumptions. Now, I want us to think about burdens, kind of broad categories of burdens that we see in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, that, that God intends for us to help one another bear. These aren't the only ones, but two major categories, I think, are the burden of sin and the burden of suffering. We all carry these burdens. We've been released from the, fully released from the guilt of sin because of Christ. The Bible says that the, the power or bondage that sin had over us has been broken in a significant way, but that does not mean that sin does not cling so closely, as it says in Hebrews 12, that we all struggle with sin, killing sin in our lives, leaving sin behind, running toward Christ, running in the ways of his commands. And we're to help one another. Hebrews 12, 1 says we're to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that's set before us. And we need to help one another. Sin clings closely. Do you know that feeling? We may each have different particular sins, different particular temptations and indwelling sins or besetting sins that feel to us like they just cling so closely that we can just never shake them. Every Monday, the temptations are there again and Tuesday and Wednesday. For some of us, it's, it's anger. Just clings to us. We seem to never be able to shed it. We're, we're, we're successful for a day or two or maybe a week, and then wham, it comes back in, in hostile, explosive anger or just silent, burning anger. For some of us, it's arrogance, just a spirit that I'm better than everybody else, and everyone else is an idiot, and I'm, I know best. For some of us, it's envy, constantly looking at what others have and, and resenting God for it, or what others have not been given that you have to bear and resenting God for it. For some of us, it's lust, wandering eyes that cling closely, weakly. Some of us, it's, it's greed, just this constant insatiable desire for more stuff to make you happy. Whatever, we understand sin clings closely, right? So we're to help one another bear the weight of that. We're to help one another put it to death. Look at Galatians 6.1 again. That's the particular kind of burden bearing Paul has in mind. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that could mean if anyone is found out, if anyone's hidden sin suddenly comes to light, then with a spirit of gentleness and humility restore. It can also mean, brothers, if anyone is overtaken by or overcome by transgression or ensnared by Temptation. When we see in one another sin getting the upper hand, 
we have an obligation, a responsibility. And look at how he says we're to do this, how we are to go about helping bear the burden. We're to do it gently, humbly, and seeking to restore, not to condemn. He says, do it in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't do it with a giant log in your eye. Do it with integrity. And seek to restore. You know, it's so, count, it's so contrary to what Jesus saw in his day among so many of the religious leaders in Israel who he said, all they're doing is tying up heavy burdens and placing them on the, on the people and just weighing them down while they, they, they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to help them unburden themselves. And, and Paul's saying, no, just the opposite. Gently and humbly seek to help your brother or sister be restored and to leave sin behind and walk in, 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 in newness of life Ray Ortland calls this gospel culture. He says, this is an environment that we are to cultivate in our church families where burden unloading and burden bearing is nurtured and encouraged. He puts it into a formula. I love this. It's worth reading here. He says, this this is how this culture grows. Gospel plus safety plus time. A lot of gospel, a lot of safety, and a lot of time. Gospel, he says, good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. And how much do we need it, he says? Multiple exposures, constant immersion, wave upon wave of grace and truth according to the Bible again and again and again on repeat. And we need safety, an environment within which we hear this gospel again and again and again, a non-accusing environment, no embarrassing anyone, no manipulation, no oppression, no condescension, but respect and sympathy and understanding where sinners can confess and unburden their souls. I love this, a church environment where no one who is seeking the Lord has anything to fear. And then he says we need time. We need to be in this environment, hearing this gospel again and again over time. No pressure, not even self-imposed pressure, he says. No deadlines on growth. You know this, he says urgency, but not hurry, because no one changes quickly. A lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. God is patient. This is what our churches must be. Gentle environments of gospel plus safety plus time. That is where we're finally free to grow. That's how we create a culture of burden bearing when it comes to sin and temptation. So we should ask, does this describe the culture here at Grace? I'm happy to say, I think to to a large extent it does. I see it on Sundays when we're in here. uh, 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 That that freedom of, I don't have to uh, put on a face. I don't have to put up a front and hide my failures and hide my, my struggles and hide my sin. I can confess it to God and I can confess it to others. But I'm sure we're not perfect in this and we need to keep growing. Is this, describe your, your culture of your grace group. And the freedom there is as you turn from what we've heard in the word to now what, what difference does this need to make in our life and how do we fall short of this word and how do we need God's grace? In your grace group discussions, are they marked by gospel plus safety plus time?
or in your Christian friendships and maybe relationships of accountability? Is it gentle humility, gentle environment where you can unburden your soul and find forgiveness and, and power to, to walk in new ways? What about parents? Does that describe your parenting, the culture in your home? Would your kids say, yeah, that's the environment I'm being raised in? Gospel plus safety plus time. I was deeply convicted this week by that, thinking even in particular interactions with with my daughter and one of my sons in the last week after Christmas. And I had some forgiveness to ask, realizing, wow, at times I do not create an environment of gospel plus safety plus time. Gently, humbly seeking to restore. My anger can just blast. How about husbands and wives? Does that describe the culture and environment of your marriage relationship? Gospel plus safety plus time. I, I believe that, that Rayon's right, that in an atmosphere like this, sin hiding will decrease because we understand it, it's safe. I can bring this before the Lord and sin killing will increase. So grace, let's help one another. Bear the burden of our sin. We all need it. We also need to bear one another's burdens and suffering in the trials of many kinds that we face, that James says. We will all face. We do face. I just was thinking of, even in the room this morning, these are all represented. We're to bear one another's burdens of grief and mourning. This last year, many of us have lost loved ones. Some who we are confident are with Jesus, others we're not sure. And grief and the sting of separation and sadness comes with that. And we are to bear one another's grief. Just yesterday was the six mark, a year mark from the day we lost Jeff Dykstra. And I was moved again seeing Leah post on Facebook how she and the kids and Brian spent the day remembering Jeff and, and, and still grieving. And, and the flood of comments after were as encouraging to me as Leah's testimony. It was a reminder to me of how beautifully I've seen here at Grace our church rally and, and run to help bear the burdens of another's grief. And that's just one example of so many that should just continue to increase among us here. We need to bear one another's burdens of chronic pain, terminal illness diagnoses, physical disabilities. Bear one another's burden of loneliness. Do we understand how many people, even in this room this morning, that is one of the biggest weights on their shoulder, is just the burden of loneliness. They may not Look at it on the outside, but they're feeling it on the inside. Are we, are our antenna up for that? And are we thinking of ways that we can help bear the burden of that, alleviate the loneliness by moving in? We're to bear one another's burden of depression, of financial hardship and joblessness. We're to bear one another's burdens of relational turmoil, broken relationships with your kids, broken relationships with your parents. And on and on, we're to share in one another's sorrow and suffering. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. Paul, as he's likening the church to a body, one of the implications then he says is, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And to some extent, we know how that works in our own bodies, don't we? 
made me think immediately of my lower back has gone out at least a dozen times in my adult life, like totally gone out. If you've never had that, it's horrible. Doing nothing. Last time it happened was October. I was sitting in a Starbucks and uh, I stood up from my chair and turned and I just felt this thing just go wham, like twinge. And within two minutes, my back was spasming and I was just like, I was out. But every time that happens, it's amazing. Within two days, here's what else happens. All the other muscles in my back and in my shoulder and in my neck and my abs, two days later, they're all hurting. They're all sore like I've done two days of CrossFit, you know, nonstop. And it's because they're all compensating. They are all kicking in because that one muscle is out of commission and all the other muscles are having to help hold me up and and get me around and manage. And two days later, they're all feeling sharing in the pain that the injured muscle had, even though they weren't injured. And that's kind of what Paul's saying is when one member suffers, all suffer. It's this profound union we have with one another because of our union with Christ. We should function like this. It starts here. Paul, Romans 12, 15 says, we should weep with those who weep. And some of us tend to just rush past this one to the real help, as if that's not real help. He said, weep with those who weep. Join them in their sadness. Join them in their pain. I love this tweet and was convicted by it. I saved it a while back. Dane Ortland, Ray, Ray Ortland's son, just posted one day, Dear comforters of sufferers, just because Romans 8.28 comes before Romans 12.15 in the canon doesn't mean it should in your counsel. Now, if, if you, Romans 8.28 is a wonderful truth that we need to cling to even in the deepest trials that, that for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, he works all things together for our good That is an anchor sort of truth of the Bible, so we shouldn't dismiss it. But what he's saying is maybe we don't lead with that when people are suffering. Maybe we lead with, weep with those who weep. I was struck Jesus did. Remember when Lazarus had died? Jesus had allowed it. He had not intervened to, to save Lazarus from sickness, and so Lazarus was dead because Jesus intended to glorify himself by showing everyone present on that day that he had power over even death, and he was the resurrection and life so that whoever believes in him, even though they die, yet they will live. And he shows up knowing, I'm about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and before too long, I'm gonna raise all the dead, and all in Christ will live with me forever. Knowing all of that truth, he gets there and the weeping and the wailing is happening at the tomb and John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. I don't think it was a show. I think Jesus is deeply acquainted with our grief and our suffering. And even though he knows how to fix it and he's done now decisively what will fix it forever, he's able to enter into us in the moment of our pain and grief and weep. Are we? If that does not come easily to you, I read a great article this last week. I'm just going to point you to it. It was on Desiring God's blog, and the t- title was this, What If Tears Don't Come? How to Weep with Those Who Weep. It's a great article. It was written by someone who clearly, that has been a struggle, and, and it's been asking God to help grow a heart of compassion that feels the pain of others in the body of Christ. So let's not rush past that one, but let's not leave it there either. We are also to bear one another's burdens by rolling up our sleeves and doing whatever lies within our power to help alleviate or share the burden and the weight of all these various trials that that we endure. 
1 John 3 came to mind. Again, we'll see the new commandment snuck in here. John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So because we know what it's like to have had our Savior and Lord lay his life down for us, we lay our lives down for others. He says, if anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If God has given us the means to lift some of the weight a brother or sister is experiencing, John says, how could we refuse? Especially having tasted the goodness of what Jesus has lifted from us. Again, Grace, I love how much I see this in action here. We see it here all the time. Making meals, cleaning houses for those who can't, helping move for those who have no family or relatives in town, watching children for families in the foster system who are worn out and need a break, paying bills that can't be paid, fixing cars and air conditioning units, opening homes, giving rooms and beds, driving to doctor's appointments, and on and on it goes. I, we, we see it here. It's beautiful. We just want to keep fanning this into flame, excel still more. And finally, I just want to remind us that we can't forget that prayer is maybe the most significant way we are called to bear one another's burdens because at the end of the day, God is the one for whom we are to cast, to whom we are to cast all our burdens on him because he cares for us. And we can help one another by doing that for one another and with one another. Prayer can feel like the least helpful thing, but that's not how Paul saw it. Again, we read earlier in, in, our, in our sung worship time about Paul's experience of affliction, he says, where he was so utterly burdened beyond his strength that he despaired of life itself. He felt he'd received the sentence of death. And so he said that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Another way of saying that sentence is that was to lead us to prayer, Right? That's what relying on God and not ourselves is when we feel utterly burdened beyond uh, despair and despairing of life itself. And and assuming they did, They, they relied on God. And Paul says he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. So there's something on Paul's mind even now as he writes this. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. He's feeling some burden even there. And you know what the next sentence is? You also must help us by prayer. We help one another by prayer. Prayer is helpful because God answers our prayers. I thought of Paul in jail writing to the Philippians and he didn't know if he was going to be executed or not. And he desperately wanted to honor Christ in his body to the very end, whether it was through painful execution or a little bit more time. And you know where his confidence was that he would, he would be faithful? He says, I know that through your prayers, even the burden of facing the death penalty, and with the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, and Christ will be honored, whether by life or by death. We bear one another's burdens by praying with one another, praying for one another without ceasing. And I could think of no better way to to finish this morning than actually take time for us to do this. We don't do this as frequently, but I'm going to do this this morning. I want to ask you, with one or two people who are sitting next to you this morning, to turn and take the next five minutes or so. You don't have to tell a whole story, but just turn and say, 
What burdens are you, you feeling this morning? What are the burdens you carry? And then just go, move right to prayer. Pray for one another. Cast those burdens on God together this morning. And after time, Jordan and Joyce are going to wrap us up with a closing hymn. So let's pray.